Hey, Sailorville Church. My name is Curtis. Uh, I am the young adult director here, and I'm sitting with Andrew and John Nemers, Andrew Bush, uh, who good to be with you. We all went to high school together, but this is the also the original intern crew. This is it. <laughs> the OG, which is pretty great. The, the three of us team. started out in uh, what what we call the development pipeline or whatever that's called right am i saying that village right? down here yeah and uh we started started the internship with just the little three of us <laughs> do you remember our first day we I didn't sat down with jason for like seven hours and... <laughs> i didn't start the same day as you guys See, I was still at my other job. I still remember you looking homeless too when you oh, first. Yeah. Started. Oh, your first staff picture oh, was, was hilarious. <laughs> I was, I was the only. I'll take pride in this. The only staff guy that they that they went out of their way to ask to take a second picture because <laughs> my picture after you shaved, so showered, bad. got your hair cut, put new clothes. You on. looked like a homeless pictures. <laughs> I went in there and they're like, "Okay, let's take Yo. pictures today." I'm like, "Uh oh, John has a hole in his pants. <laughs> What's new? <laughs> You've you had a definite glow up." Over the past three years, even. I should have known because we went into staff meeting that day and Tyler Betts was wearing a button-down shirt and he's always wearing just sweats and a t-shirt. Yep. So there's something going on here today. <laughs> Tyler's wearing a button-down. I feel like I should know what's going on. You missed the memo. The first memo that you were a part of and you missed it. But it's oh, pretty cool to be sitting here. Now on this side, we've gone through... I mean, boy, have we had a lot of good, long, hard conversations together about ministry, about life, about what the heck God's doing with our lives and how he's using us. And We're no longer lowly interns, we've, but uh, we, we still pretty much act like it. Yeah, so. and we've gone through a lot of <laughs> horrible things that we've messed up and probably screwed up, and but also celebrated a lot of victories together and figured a few things out, like this guy. One or two things. Getting up and preaching his heart out. Oh. Yeah, the first time I preached, you weren't doing that when we first started. Oh man, first time I preached, it was so bad that my wife came down and said, "Man, you really screwed that one." <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> no, it was not that bad. In my mind, it was pretty bad. It wasn't that bad. You had like one mistake. <laughs> yeah, I could never do it. Just you a did. little bit of heresy. Yeah, <laughs> just a little. It's fine. Uh, but you did. You did bring it home um, this last week. A message on hell is hell for real or is hell real okay way to throw a wet blanket on yeah or, or maybe a fiery blanket and, I don't uh, know, on here it is the three interns yeah. back at it together it's gonna be amazing oh, talking, about talking about hell. hell it's true this is not an easy conversation <laughs> no it's not also like you <laughs> opened up with like nothing is gonna make you laugh about this <laughs> we're not gonna crack any jokes <laughs> yeah um but i think it's also a really really important conversation because the theology of hell uh, is really up for discussion in a lot of mainstream yeah. media and, and even mainstream churches. Yeah, I, I even, uh, going back to you know how I, how I really started that message, there was something I, I, I originally, when I was kind of putting my message together, thinking through, okay, you know, how am I going to go about doing this? And because I knew it was such a serious message, mm -hmm. I was actually going to start with a story that was a little lighthearted, mm -hmm. just to, you know, to kind of give some sort of levity to such a message that was going to be so heavy the whole time. Mm -hmm. And the Saturday night, I was kind of walking around my neighborhood, just praying and thinking, and I didn't have a piece about it at all. Like, I just didn't have a piece about telling the story. And I'm just thinking <laughs> through and the story connected, it would have flowed. But it was just one of those things that I think the Holy Spirit was really like, just 
just bearing down on me in a sense to be like, hey, this is this is a serious topic. Mm-hmm. So just own that. You don't need, you know, the motivation questions. Why would I want to tell a, a story that brings some levity? At least in my own heart, it was probably just, you know, so people around would be like, oh, so he's not always serious. He can make some jokes and, you know, or something like that. It just wasn't good motivation. And so you think um, maybe you could start the podcast with that story? Though? That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> exactly. Good question. I think you should Story, why not? Uh, okay, okay. Share the story that you were I think going I already to know the story. Yes. I think I already know yeah, the story, yeah, and I want, you, story. I want you to share the story. So it was, so last week, you know, my dad made the joke, and it's a pretty good joke, about, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes may not send you to hell, but it may make you smell like it on this side of eternity, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to talk about my cigarette experience after I became a Christian. I was still smoking, chain smoking, you know, every day. And, uh, and I was on my way home from, uh, I don't know where I was coming from, but I was on my way home and I was smoking a cigarette and I was pulling into my parents' house because I still lived at home with them. And I threw the cigarette out on the way, on the way there. I didn't notice that the cigarette had flown right back, right behind me and landed in the back seat. No idea. <laughs> I pull into the driveway, put it in park, turn it off. I go inside. I'm taking a shower because I'm going to come back out and go to my friend's house here in just a little bit. To go smoke who knows what. To go... Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's something completely fine. I don't really it's know. For a Bible study, yeah, right? It could have been. Uh, it could have been to meet with Abe at that Starbucks. Oh. Who knows? Uh, but I come back out, and my dad is in the driveway, and he's like doing something. I don't know what he's doing. He's blissfully got his back turned to me. He kind of sees me coming out, and he's like, "Hey, how are you doing?" And I look in my car, and the entire thing is completely full of smoke. <laughs> All the windows are rolled up, and I'm going, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> and so my dad's got his back turned to me. I open up the door. The smoke is like a cartoon. Just the billowing smoke out. It's just rolling out. My dad's like saying something to me. I'm trying to make sure he doesn't realize what's going on. I see the cigarette. I like throw the cigarette out. I realize that it had burned this giant hole in my back seat and my dad saying so he didn't recognize it at all i just no get idea. in i put it in reverse and i just i tail it on out and smoke's just rolling <laughs> you've got so many stories of people just obliviously going about their business while you are you know while the can't your sins are like just blow billowing up. your car could have like blown up in the driveway yeah god's grace god's grace it actually there's only a hole about that big so the redeeming part of it was an actual <laughs> prayer that I had been praying and and uh, and it really was like my my heart I, I I've been telling a lot of people because it's true this has been this was the healthiest message that I've ever had to prepare for mm-hmm. um, just thinking about hell and, and having to really meditate on it and uh, um, from a Christian's perspective and obviously what it means for somebody who doesn't know Christ mm-hmm. uh, but my 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 prayer, uh, was that it really would, without sounding too cheesy, burn a hole right mm. in my own heart, mm. and that it would do the same thing for all those who were listening. But yeah, as somebody who sat in the seats, I think I felt that from you. I felt yeah. like you were you were well prayed up, mm. um, that your heart was humble and your posture was, Lord, teach me. Mm. I don't know if you thought. Yeah, that. no, I, I, you mentioning that. I mean, you did talk about this quite a bit in your message, but 
Could you elaborate a little bit more on why do you think it's a healthy thing for a Christian mm-hmm. to think about hell? Mm-hmm. Usually, I'm, for, in my mind, oftentimes I think well, that's not something I really want to think about. I don't have to worry about going there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why why think about? It? I'm going to spend more time thinking about heaven or or my life here on earth or whatever it is. What is it about hell that makes it healthy for a Christian to meditate on something right. that frightening and that? awful yeah yeah i mean you don't want to just stay there right you do want to that's why we're preaching on heaven next week Mm -hmm. um you know because you do want you want to meditate on the glories and the mercies of god but yeah i think it goes right back to uh second corinthians 5 11 where paul says knowing the fear of the lord Mm -hmm. we now try and persuade others Mm -hmm. right so just knowing uh the judgment knowing what is truly to come for the unbeliever and what you've been saved from, uh, now you go out and persuade others. It really is. I mean, when you really think about it, it, it uh, and I didn't put this in there, but man, it was such a good point. It was actually when I was preparing for a message that I was preaching at camp, and uh, I was listening to Ray Comfort talk of all people, and he said something that just knocked me flat on my back. Mm. He said, oftentimes when it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to witnessing to somebody, you know, it's we're, we're, we're always so fearful to do it just because, you know, we don't want to look bad or we wouldn't want to get made fun of or something like that. And he was making the point, you know, he goes, look, I mean, if you're if your child was, you know, in a freezing lake, like you wouldn't think twice about jumping in and trying to save them. Like mm. the fear of you possibly getting injured from a frozen lake is not going to inhibit you from jumping in and possibly hurting yourself to save someone. Mm. And so he's saying oftentimes when it comes to witnessing to someone, we need to pray not for less fear in the sense, not, not fear of God, as Paul's saying, but fear of man. Yeah. Don't pray for less fear, pray for more love. Mm. Right. Mm. And so, uh, that's what really hit me, this whole idea that so much of it is a lack of love for other people, right? Yeah. So when you're walking around and you're, and you're seeing people and you really are having that thought go in your mind, like this individual could be spending eternity in this place that I've been meditating on, then that raises up uh, a level of love that mm. just completely overcomes your fear of man in many ways where it's like, who cares, you know, if I get made fun of in a sense, it's like, mm. it's not, it's worth it, you know, if, if they were to respond to this. Mm. I think you see that example and mm. with Paul and Acts and, you know, he's just doing crazy things like, you know, he just set like fire to go to Jerusalem, even though he knows there's going to be suffering involved. And, you know, even when he's getting arrested in Jerusalem, he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on let me tell the crowd this message, this gospel message right there. It's not because he's like, oh, yeah, you know, crazy. He's, he's just so set because he loves the people and he's so convinced that this message is, is worth yeah. hearing. When you said on Sunday, you know, that people will probably invoke or evoke your name, you know, mm-hmm. right? Like, why didn't John tell me? I, I was, that still was ringing with me this morning and I was journaling and I was thinking about, the people that I work with at the hospital, mm. um, my neighbors, like mm. that, that, that really tugged at me to think about, did, w- will I stand before the Lord knowing that I loved them, shared, shared the truth with them? Um, and, or was I selfishly going about my own way? Yeah. And I think that you're right. Like you, you, it's a really good question, Andrew. It really is, is, is why is it important? Because of the love that that motivates and, and, and stirs within us, you know, mm-hmm. as we love the people around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. I have uh, a big question that it comes from my heart. I'm a heart guy, you know. We talked about <laughs> on this podcast head and heart a lot, coming from you being the heady guy. Um, I just dealt with a guy, uh, a really, really good friend who, and I had this conversation with him for a long time, and we're still working through it. But how how do you live knowing that someone you love is probably in hell? Yeah, and uh, you can chime in on this too. What would you say first, Dan? Well, John's the one that's done all the uh, research <laughs> on hell. I'm just kind of here to listen. No, to no, 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 no. How it's do a big you, question. How do you live knowing someone you love is in hell? So if you've had someone close to you maybe pass away and you're not confident that they were a Christian or you know they're not a Christian, yeah, that's a heavy mm-hmm. statement. I was just talking with a close friend today, actually, who was really? pondering that same thing. Uh, not exactly. He He was pondering the fact that someone that he loves is definitely heading for hell. They're not, they haven't died Mm, yet. Yeah. um, Yeah. yeah, Knowing someone that you love is in hell. I think one of the, you need to wrestle with, I think your second point uh, in your message, John talking about is hell reasonable. Mm -hmm. Um, in, In a moment like that, you might be tempted to think like, man, how could a good God send, Mm-hmm. grandma or grandpa or mom or dad or what you know someone that you care about to hell uh just because they didn't believe and so i think that's a small part of a larger question uh why would god send anyone to hell or maybe especially those who didn't maybe have a chance to hear the gospel super clearly somebody from uh a tribe out in the, the middle mm-hmm. of Papua New Guinea mm-hmm. or something, you know, mm-hmm. like how, how could God send people like that Papua to New hell Guinea. too? <laughs> and um, so uh, that's a big question to wrestle with, but I think an important piece to that is whether or not hell is actually reasonable, whether it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I think that what you pointed out, John, one of the, th- this is just one small point, um, but it, it brought a uh, more reasonableness to hell when you mentioned in your message that people who are in hell are still rebelling. They never, I, I think sometimes we get this sense that people are in hell, they experience the torment, and that's the thing that they realize, oh my goodness, I was so wrong, what on earth have I done? God, please let me out. And God's sitting there with his arms crossed saying, sorry, you had your chance and you blew it. So you're sitting down there for forever. (laughs) And the fact that you pointed out that people who are in hell continuously rebel against God, they never turn it around. They never make the distinction of, uh, you know, I'm here because I deserve this. And, you know, they, they never, uh, they're, they're not there repenting. Um, that m- makes a little bit more sense in my mind, I think. Um, you pointed out how in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, I think you mentioned this anyway, that the rich man never asks God uh, to let him out. He instead says, hey, tell Lazarus to come and dip his, you know, give me just a drop of water on my tongue. He's asking for relief. He's not asking for forgiveness. Uh, He's not asking, he says, tell my brothers, I don't want them to come here. But he never says, God, I'm sorry, please let me come to you. He never asked to go to heaven. Uh, He instead just asked for relief. I think that's really telling about 
the heart condition of people in hell. And mm. uh, yeah, so yeah, I, w- I was just going to add to that. So that was what you guys know that when you're preparing a message, you have to cut out a ton. Mm. And so one of the things that I had to cut out with the biblical, you know, is hell biblical is a point where I had is hell uh, or hell is blinding. And that's where I was drawing out. So I didn't actually mention that, but that was something I had in my original notes here that here mm. you have the rich man who is not is not desiring to get out of hell. And I, as, as I was thinking about this, yes, it tied right into what you're saying, but I was just thinking about this and it, and it became clear to me that hell, the suffering that you are going through if you are in hell is is blinding to an extent that you don't recognize your full suffering. He does recognize his suffering, right? He says, I'm in anguish mm. in these flames. Mm-hmm. Please put a drop of water mm. on there. But then he doesn't ask to get out. And so I was thinking about this, and I was, I've, I'm reading through a book right now by uh, Yomi Park, I think is how you pronounce her first name. Uh, and she's, she's well-known. She's a de- detractor from North Korea. Mm. And so she tells the story about... Uh, in North Korea, she she would see dead bodies every day. But she tells a specific story in her book how there is this body, this pile of dead bodies with all of the eyes gouged out because the rats would eat them. Hmm. Uh, in the and, hospital, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then there was these kids running around chasing the rats because the kids would eat the rats because they're so starving. Everyone's so starving there. And in the moment she knew she was, she knew she was suffering, right? Mm -hmm. She knew like I'm starving. I'm, you know, all these things are happening to me, but it wasn't until she was outside of North Korea that she recognized the fullest extent of her suffering. And she, she would break down and start crying, talking about this. And I was like that from a, from a, now this may not do much for the person in hell, but from our perspective, from a heavenly perspective, maybe not for those in heaven in a sense, but, mm-hmm. um, but from our earthly yep. perspective as Christians, we can look at that and go, those who are headed to hell are going to be in a torment so blinding and agonizing in, in, in a way that they're not even going to recognize to the full ex- fullest extent how much they're actually suffering, which is just, I think, should just, in a sense, pull on a Christian's heart in many ways. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, to, to answer your question, I think that it even kind of goes into the question, uh, Does how do you deal with somebody who's in hell while you're on earth? I've also heard the question a lot. How do you, can you truly be in heaven uh, and know and be joyful if someone is in hell? Yeah. Can I say one thing yeah. before you venture to that? Yeah. I, I was going to say, when you're talking about how you're blind to your own suffering, I think that's something that we even get a glimpse of here from an earthly perspective as well. Too. I mean, yeah. how many people do we know that are Same. trapped in sinful patterns yeah. that we are looking at them thinking like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, Don't you realize so how you're making yeah, but, yeah. life totally miserable for right. yourself? And yet they continue to run to the very things that yeah. are ruining them. Yeah. I mean, you see that really obviously with people who are addicted to drugs or mm-hmm. with things like pornography and, and sex and mm-hmm. some of these things that just get their talons in people's hearts. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to rip away from it. And they think, this is what I want. I want m- more drugs or whatever it is. Yeah. And they don't realize that that is what is absolutely ruining them. 
and maybe mm-hmm. it would be a similar type story in hell where yeah. they're continually running after their sin. They're running after the things that they think will satisfy them uh, still, you know, the, the whole time giving God the finger yeah. and not uh, understanding that it's actually God who's going to be the source of life for them. Yeah. And yeah. they're just continuing to dig their own grave. You mentioned in your message, hell is a place that the door is locked from the inside. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's... Really and yeah, to even add to that, it's it's there's also that absence of anything that is good. So C.S. Lewis would describe Earth as the Shadowlands. So here you have, and this is how I was kind of describing it to my wife. Like if you could caricature, here's heaven, here's Earth, and then here's hell. Here you have everything that is good in heaven, and everything that is evil and separated from God in hell, and you have like this world in which both touch. Right. So you get to smell, you get to hear the chirping birds and the pleasures of God. And and even even in the sense that, you know, Mm -hmm. let's say I'm chasing after success and it becomes Mm -hmm. sinful. Well, you still even taste the pleasures of success. And that is in a in a sense, in a sense, a good. Right. Right. When you get when you go to heaven, all of the evil gets taken away, right? And so you are in this ultimately good, perfect place. So there's no evil. The opposite's true for hell. So you have this, like, exactly what you're saying, and, and this is exactly what I think hell is, is where all of those pleasures are taken away, yet the endless rat race is still there, mm. right? So you are completely entrenched in, in you know, your, your sinful desires, yet here you mm. don't ever even have any of the goods to... to uh, to be felt or anything like that, any of the pleasures. The imagery you used on Sunday Sunday helped me, you know, even talking about what Andrew's talking about, the cyclical process, like if it is a lake of fire, which it's described to us in Scripture, then think about that immersion of water where it's just that continuous, like, I'm submerged in water, right? When we're fully underwater, it's all around us. It's Mm -hmm. to think of that insane cycle that sin brings in our life, that blinding destruction where it's like the the person in sin is just leaving a trail of destruction behind them, and they're completely yeah. oblivious. And so, what hell must be like for that person who's just like, yeah, it's hard to describe. Yeah. But and I want you to finish that question you're thinking yeah, about. Yeah, I want to hear the answer to this um, too. So, is someone in yeah. hell, or so, yeah, so when, when, when can we're in heaven, heaven, truly be heaven, right? If you know that there's people suffering in hell, like that can yeah. let's say my mom passed away not knowing Jesus. Yeah. yeah, I pass away tomorrow, and I'm in heaven. She's in hell. Can I truly like I, enjoy I, heaven? Can I truly enjoy knowing that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is this is a common question, right? I mean, this is one that as I was kind of preparing for this, Kaylee, my wife, asked me. She goes, "Okay, so I mean, like, how could I actually enjoy heaven if?" If one of our kids, mm. same thing, if one of our kids didn't mm-hmm. believe and they died, and like, how could I actually enjoy that knowing that they're in hell? Um, mm. And it's not an easy answer, but I think it's a good answer. I think it's a reasonable answer. And if if you are perfected in heaven, which, which you are, then you will have a perfect view of justice. Yeah. And so in the sense that it's pretty easy for us to take away, you know, your personal agendas or your personal people in your life and you go okay could i could i imagine a world in which i glorify god and i'm glad that god is god and he's just because he punished someone like hitler it's kind of easy for us to wrap our minds around that it's like yeah i can i can imagine a world where i go actually your punishment of hitler makes me love you more god Mm -hmm. right and so 
it's hard for us to go, man, but my grandma, like that's a different person, right? That's, that's a little bit harder for me. And while it's harder for us to wrap our minds around it here on earth, uh, when you die and you're in the presence of God and you are completely glorified, you will get a sense, you will, your, your understanding of God's justice will be perfected yeah. to the place where you might not be able to imagine it now. And of course you can't because we're still human and we're still here on earth and we still have all these mm-hmm. relationships uh, tying us together. But you will get to a place where somehow, as hard as it is to say, somehow if my kids went to hell, it would make me glorify God more, hmm. which is hard, but I think it's a true and reasonable. Yeah, statement. and our minds will be completely eternal at that point, where I think so much of what we hold on to here on earth is the finite, like, birth to death. That's our. That's like all our minds can comprehend right now, yeah. but yet we know God has written eternity on our hearts, and we will feel that in full yeah. and be able to understand that glory in a completely different way in an eternal aspect, yeah. I think, even. R.C. Sproul, I think, summarized it best for me when he said, anyone who receives heaven is receiving mercy. Anyone who receives hell is receiving justice. Yeah. No yeah. one is receiving injustice. Yeah. Mm. Right. Your point on reasonableness really did land in my heart because... When you ba- when you put it back on us, it's like it's what you really want. It's what we as humans really truly desire. When you look at it on the most basic level, mm-hmm. and to see that in its fullest, while I can't in any way wrap my mind around being happy that someone died not knowing Christ, to see God glorified in it, and to know that He is sovereign and right. that He is working for that glory in each and every moment. I mean, we are walking miracles here in the room yeah. right now. Through, through the gospel and through his salvation, through grace alone, through faith alone, and that he desires that for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you see that idea of being able to praise God for justice being done, even in uh, sections like uh, Roman, is it Romans 9, where it talks about mm-hmm. Pharaoh and how God prepared him as a vessel for destruction, and yet it talks about how that brings greater glory to God. And if in heaven we are going to be consumed by the glory of God and Mm. seeking to glorify God more, then you're right. It's reasonable to say that anything that's bringing God glory is going to bring us joy and and happiness. And Mm -hmm. so that's hard to think about when you're talking about someone that you have a real relationship with. But for me, I always have to go back to, you know, that verse uh, that says, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right, Mm. what is just? Mm -hmm. And, And so I know that when I get to heaven, even if right now it's not clicking it's not fully making sense i know that god is going to do what's right yep. so good Andrew. and i i have to trust that yeah. we have to trust that yep let's switch gears you mentioned uh two big words in on sunday in your sermon annihilationalism yeah, annihilationism that, annihilationism yeah. and then universalism yeah so i'd love to hear you kind of spout on that a little bit because yeah. i know you got a lot in that head of yeah yours. i mean yeah i mean i annihilationism there's so many different hold up first explain what that is what what does it mean so there's definitely there's a ton of different definitions of what it could be okay Uh, there's different viewpoints that people kind of bring it uh bringing um come come to a conclusion on it but um overall it's essentially the view that that when you die 
there's a view that says immediately you are, as the word says, annihilated. So you don't spend any time in hell uh, where, where God's justice is that you are being wiped out from existence. So they hmm. would take uh, a verse like in Matthew 10 that I said at the very end, um, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body. They would take that to mean destroy. I mean, completely wipe it out completely. That's one view. That's a radical view of it. Another view would be that it's a lot like uh, uh, it's just a time frame. So essentially, uh, in the same way that you would go to prison for, you know, 25 years for robbing a bank, mm -hmm. God being a just judge, you know, this is their argument that is they would look at our lives and go, OK, so you've rejected me for 60 years and mm -hmm. you did X amount of sins. So therefore, you are going to spend 20,000 years in hell and then you'll be annihilated. Right. And so they have those those rationales of, of trying to wrap their minds around. The biggest thing is that they don't find it to be just uh, for God to allow somebody to continue in their suffering for all of eternity. Mm. And my point was it doesn't seem biblical. Obviously, that's the biggest point. And then the other one was my second reason for why God allows uh, or why you are condemned for an eternal amount of punishment for a temporary rejection from him. And I think that this, I, I know it impacts most people to go, yes, we continue to reject God in hell. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I think there's a ton of Bible to, to back that up. I was even just reading Revelation 22, and it says something about that that was very interesting to me. Mm. Uh, but I think the conclusive argument is my first reason, which is God is eternally holy. I, I believe if God is eternally holy and you reject an eternally holy God a righteous, just punishment would be an eternal punishment. Like, I think, I think, at least in my fallen, stupid brain, like, it makes it sense to me that you would spend eternity in hell for rejecting him, for rejecting an eternally holy God. Um, but yeah, it's ultimately that idea that, that mm -hmm. God will eventually wipe you out. And, and during my research, actually, I found it interesting that I, I first thought, you know, an annihilation, like you could not, like it's one of those like staples. Like if you, you know, if you ever were to be an annihilationist and I don't know if you could ever be a Christian. Um, and I don't know because I really haven't thought through it too much, but, uh, I, I do think that they, I mean, they make arguments from scripture. Now I think they're wrong and I do think it's a, it's a heretical view in many ways, but I just, yeah, I just, I just think that, um, they, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are, who do believe in annihilation. Like, I don't think that that's necessarily something that will keep you out of heaven. I think that they're dead wrong and I think that they need to be corrected. Mm. Uh, but I've kind of backed off in the sense that like, oh, you know, it's basically like denying the deity of Christ. I don't think that, mm. um, but it is a very serious, it's something that's, that needs to be um, confronted. Universalism is the idea that hell is essentially purgatory. It's the new version of purgatory. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a, it's a Protestant's view of purgatory, essentially. So purgatory for, from the Catholic faith is, you know, you don't die and go to hell necessarily. You die and you kind of work things out. Um, and this is popularized by like Rob Bell and, you know, it's Love Wins, his book. I think it's Love Wins. Um, yeah. Where he essentially says when you go to hell, it's basically a refining fire. Yeah. So it's not a destroying fire. It's a refining fire that eventually just mm -hmm. sanctifies you or gets you to a place where you like will 
accept Christ. And uh, again, I think the, the, the biggest pushback against all of those things is that it's flat out not biblical, mm-hmm. right? It's just not biblical. And I have a verse, the one that I was referring to in, in Revelation 22. Mm-hmm. It just, I was just reading it in my Bible reading, and it's verse 15, which says, outside are the dogs. Outside is a reference to hell here. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So those two words are the things that stood out to me, loves and practices. They're both in present tense. So it seems to be that, that Jesus, who's talking here in Revelation 22, is saying that those who are outside, those who are in hell, are the ones who are currently loving and currently practicing falsehood in hell. And if that's the case, then I don't see either way that you could make an argument for either of those views. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I I can definitely see the allure of those types of views. I mean, I I think Mm -hmm. it it makes sense in a way even the worst person on earth has still committed a finite amount of sin because Mm -hmm. they're a finite being. But the eternality, I think your point about it's not just about the number of sins or the severity of sins, but who you are sinning against. Right. that's a big deal. Right. And it, you take some other verses from the Bible, I think of the book of James, where it says that if you keep the whole law but stumble at one, one point, point, you're guilty of it all. Mm-hmm. And I think that is maybe sort of another piece to the puzzle there where y- you think about the severity of our sin right. and how uh, how bad we really are. I think we like to minimize sin, and we need to make sure that we have yeah. a heavy view of what sin is. And we yeah. get microcosms of that here on earth all the time, mm-hmm. right? So you have mm-hmm. that shadow land type of thing that I was talking about before. And, you know, I mentioned one of them, but it's like, you know, it's the whole idea that if you were to punch me in the face, I've said it before, you know, if you were to punch me in the face, you'd get in some trouble. If you were to punch the president of the United States in the face, you'd get in a whole lot more trouble. Mm. And I think the point of all this is that who you're sinning against plays a role into how the punishment is taken about, right? And the mm-hmm. whole 10 minutes to murder someone doesn't, doesn't you know, account to 10 minutes in for punishment. Like, we, we understand that on a human, basic, rudimentary level that, that the, that's not how punishment works. So when you try and say, like, because my, my human brain can't wrap around how God can be a loving and just God and punish somebody for all of eternity, so I'm going to slap this idea on there, it becomes a man-centered view of hell, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, that's, you go down any type of theology, and that's very scary, is when it starts to become man-centered, it Mm -hmm. becomes heretical pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, uh, this is kind of straying a little bit from the the original topic, but you were talking about the man-centeredness, and we're talking about hell, do you think there's any credibility to uh, people who claim to have been to hell Mm. or to have a vision of hell. I mean, there's a a book that I think was pretty popular in the mid-2000s or something that was uh, 23 Minutes in Hell, (laughs) a guy who claimed to have a vision of hell and experienced it for 23 minutes or something. Is any credibility to things like that? You get similar books for about heaven, you know, right. the boy who went to heaven or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I haven't given it a ton of thought, but my first thought is man is appointed once to die, and after that to, uh, um, comes the judgment. 
uh, do I think that God could give somebody some sort of vision that, you know, startles them or wakes them up or even in a near death or, you know, after your heart stops death experience that God by his grace is giving you these visions or whatnot. I think that's an absolute possibility. I think that that's probably true for the heaven experiences too. Um, Cause some of those things, it's just some of those things you can't explain either way. I'm getting off on the rabbit trail for heaven things, but either way, um, I, I just don't see anything in scripture that says that you could die and, and necessarily come back to life. But of course you can ask mm-hmm. the question, what about Lazarus? And what about the people who were raised from the dead in the Bible that we have examples for? And all I can say is, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> what those things lack though is the eternal aspect, right? Because we know that eternal punishment is going to be a real thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it very well could have happened. And God, of course, like, and I love that you even mentioned, like it's his grace for us to even be able to see something like that mm-hmm. to, to captivate our hearts and to change our hearts. But even then, like the eternality of it is not there, right? Yeah. The person came back, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so what what you have to do is really look through eyes of wisdom and discernment and understand that what those people are writing, yeah, it could it could have happened, but it's a tick away from the truth, which we know. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be measured up against the Bible. Yeah. Gotta be measured up against things that we know are true. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you hear stories of people who write stuff like that and then later on say, well, kind of made it up. Yeah. To experience Jesus forever is a whole different story than a cardiac arrest for 30 seconds. Yeah. (laughs) And in my finite mind is what I'm thinking, you know, like, and so even, even the person that went to heaven and, and saw glimpses of whatever, is just like, I don't feel like that's full worship of experiencing God in his fullness and right. and then my body too being in its perfect form whatever yeah. that looks like. Yeah. 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 I I love that we let's wrap it up here. I think it's really important to to remember that this conversation I was thinking about this this afternoon like I love how the conversation of hell has to be so tidely tied closely with the gospel mm-hmm. and those two should never be separated. Yeah. When we have the when, when we're brought before the word, you know, on a Sunday morning you brought it home to the gospel. Even now, thinking about how the gospel has, you know, changed our lives and against all odds <laughs> in my sin, Christ died on the cross for me. And that speaks into even this discussion. And mm-hmm. so I want to remind my heart and, and the people's heart to not forget that the gospel needs to be preached each and every day, right. even in this discussion. Like we can't we can't have this discussion absent of what Christ did on the cross. Yeah, hell, I mean, hell can't save you. Right. Right? I mean, I love what I heard Piper say. He said, uh, love can't save you, but it can send you on a quest. Yeah. Right? It can wake you up to the reality of what you need most, which is Jesus. Yeah. And we're, I hope that you guys are praying, I'm praying this, that this week God would just really work in our hearts and in the people of Sayreville Church to really just put a burden and a fire to have these conversations, to, to make time to... Invite the neighbor over that maybe you've been wanting to, or have that conversation at work with the person because of what's at stake. Mm-hmm. Not maybe only that, God would burn a hole in yeah. their hearts. <laughs> as a really yes, good Andrew. Story. Way to go, full circle. So, what you're what you're saying uh, kind of brings up one maybe good closing question in my mind, and it, it has to do with this whole idea of hell. Do you think 
you said hell can't save somebody, but it can send them on a quest. Uh, do you think that a message like the one that you preached, uh, where we're emphasizing hell, where we're talking about hell, when we bring it up, as we bring up the gospel, uh, I think sometimes there's sort of a negative stigma there where I, I hear often, like, you, you shouldn't try to scare somebody into heaven. Like, we want the motivation to be a love for Christ, not just a, I'm trying to get out of hell. And yet I do hear a lot of testimonies of people who say, like, I heard about hell, and that was what freaked me out enough mm-hmm. to say, I mm-hmm. need Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you think that someone can be scared into heaven in a way like this, that fear is a good motivator for the gospel? Or do you think that that's something that we should try to avoid? Yeah. I mean, I think about myself trying to preach in youth group on Wednesday nights, and oftentimes I, I'm almost battling within myself of how much to talk about something like hell, because I want to be real with people. I want them to know that they are headed for eternal damnation if they don't trust Christ. But I sometimes get worried, like, am I, am I just using, is this a scare yeah. tactic? Is this a fear tactic? And don't I, wouldn't I rather just exalt the greatness of God and the glory of Jesus Christ and let that be the motivator? Or should I really hammer down and say, do you realize that if you do not turn to Jesus today, uh, you are in jeopardy of going to hell for all of eternity? Can you just maybe yeah. unpack that a bit? Yeah. Should, can I scare somebody into heaven? Is that right? Yeah, I would say, I would say, you you said two questions: Can I scare someone into heaven? And then you said, Can I motivate? Can I use hell to motivate somebody to the gospel? Yes, to the second, no to the first. Hmm. So no, you can't scare anybody into heaven because mm-hmm. if you were to stand before God and you say, Why should I let you into my kingdom? And you say, Because I'm scared of hell. Mm-hmm. That's not the good, that's not the right answer, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you were to say, hey, recognize hell. This is your destiny. As a human, this is where you are going mm-hmm. because of your sin and because of who God is. It always starts with the character of God. Mm-hmm. So when you can start somebody and show somebody, if God is holy, what does that tell you about you? Mm-hmm. That means I'm Isaiah, right? I'm, a, I'm Isaiah in Isaiah 6, when I come before a holy God, I can be the best person in the world, and I will still say the same thing. I'm horrible. I'm dead. God, help me. And what does God do for Isaiah in Isaiah 6? He takes the coal, and he touches his lips, and he says, your sins have been forgiven. That mm-hmm. is a picture of Christ's righteousness right mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. where he takes the coal, and he takes the righteousness, and he covers us in the righteousness. It's Isaiah recognizing the holiness of God, the natural reaction of that is recognizing your position from a holy God, which is, Mm -hmm. I'm going to die. I'm going to perish in Mm -hmm. front of this God, which is what hell is. Because of my sin, I'm separated from this God. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you have to, your one thing is to go, God, you have to save me. You have to do it. I can't do it myself. You have to do something. Mm -hmm. And that's what God does for Isaiah. And that's what God does for us through Jesus Christ, through our faith and what he's done for us on the cross. And he gives us his righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good answer. That is a good answer. As you well spoke to, you know, just the inadequacy of our own heart going into that narrow gate. We don't, we don't get to bring, I don't get to bring you guys to the throne one day and say, we serve the Lord faithfully and I'm, I'm riding on Andrew and John. Yeah. I go to the Lord by myself accountable for me and my own heart and, 
there's nothing good in it. I can yeah. tell you that right now. And yeah. it's all the Lord. And so Amen. I love doing this with you guys. This has been really good. And it's uh, been a blast. You, it, it always is. It always will be. <laughs> Maybe next time we could not talk about hell. And hopefully this won't. Kurt hopefully this won't be the last intern reunion. <laughs> oh yeah, Amen. I would love that. But we're we're thankful for all of you too. We're thankful to be able to serve and to minister alongside and with you guys. And we hope that you have a great day. And uh, we love you.